right, come on back in. Let's get into it. We've got an annual business meeting next Sunday night. So if you're a member, we want you here at 6 p.m., okay? <laughs> come on, come on, y'all. I, I mean, I don't expect you to, like, cheer for it, but at least say okay. All right, so we got a business meeting next Sunday night. If you're a member, we expect you to be here, okay? All right, thanks, thanks. This works a lot better if you answer questions because nobody wants the preacher to go too long today. We've got lunch to have, so if y'all talk with me, I'll go faster. Uh, we're in this series called It's Complicated. Say it's complicated. complicated. Talking about relationships, and today we're talking about parenting. We've talked about adulting. We talked about 1 Corinthians 13, about love being the completion for the complete version of good news. We talked about boundaries last week, about the narrow road, and how wide is the path to destruction, how we need help and boundaries help us. Today, we're, we're going from this kind of wide general thing. We're, we're going a lot more focused into parenting. Now, let me tell you something. There is not an expert on parenting in the room today. There's not one. I'm not one. You're not one. And the person in here who thinks that he or she, let's face it, is probably a guy that thinks he's an expert on parenting. The person that thinks that he is an expert on parenting, you're not. You're just as clueless as the rest of us. There are some books on parenting that if you're a reader and you want to read up on it, I would highly recommend. Um, one is by a guy named Paul David Tripp. Uh, it's creatively titled Parenting. Another is by Andy and Sandra Stanley, again, creatively titled Parenting. Uh, those are just some, some, some more current uh, resources I would recommend. I really love how Andy Stanley talks about success in parenting. It had a big impact on me when I first heard it, and I want to share this quote with you before we get into it. He says this, success in parenting looks like this. When my children are adults, they still want to hang out with me. And be my friend. Not like live in my house and, and, and like mooch off me the rest of their life. That's not what we're talking about. But when, when my children are adults, they, they want to be around me. They like me. They don't want to avoid me for the rest of my life. They actually want to be in my life. That's success in parenting. That, that really stuck with me. So really quick poll for those of us in the room. Not everybody is a parent, but how many of us have been kids before? Let me see your hand all up over the room. Some of you aren't raising your hand. You should raise your hand because you were at one time a kid, okay? How many in this room are still kids? Let me see your hand. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? Um, nobody in this room, 0% of people in this room had perfect parents. 0%. Nobody, no, you did not have a perfect parent. Even if you thought your parents were the bee's knees, which I hear is what they're calling perfect parents these days, you didn't have perfect parents. And statistically, and this is kind of like sad and heavy, but 15 to 20% of the people in this room had, had very traumatic childhoods with parent figures, whether that's through divorce or um, through really hurtful things like abandonment. But the majority of people in the room, their parents weren't perfect. And their parents weren't abusive, but their parents kind of fell somewhere in the middle. They, they weren't perfect, but they, they weren't terrible. They made mistakes, but they provided. That's where most, most of us land. My parents, uh, Galen and Susan, are usually here. They're not here today. Um, they're actually, pray, pray for my parents, they're, 
out in Georgia visiting my mom's brother. He's in the last stages of cancer, and uh, he's probably going to die soon. He's in the active stages of death. So they're grieving that. They're usually here with us, um, but they're not here today. But, you know, if they were here, I would be very tempted to tell lots of stories that would not be very dignifying for them and their parenting. Um, Out of respect for them, I'm not going to tell all the stories that I think would be hilarious. What I will do instead is every time I think of a funny story that I want to tell everybody, instead of telling the story, what I'm going to do is just put a tick mark up here on here on the board, and you'll know and I'll know that I just thought of a hilarious story that I wanted to tell, and it was going to be so funny, but I didn't want to embarrass them, and because they're here, they're not here, I'm going to respect them and not tell the story, okay? So with, (laughs) well, okay, there's another one. All right, and another one. Okay, so uh, my parents, for every story, I've got, I've got great stories, but we're going to talk about how parenting is complicated and how scripture guides us in these things. And for those of you who are parents right now, or maybe you're a grandparent filling a parent role, that happens a lot. Uh, this coming Wednesday night in our Bible study out in the lobby, we're going to be getting into what discipline and parenting in a digital age looks and feels like, and it's less lecture and more kind of uh, group group therapy, like, what are y'all doing? I don't know. What are y'all doing? And we're going to be looking at different different ways to manage that. Invite somebody who could benefit from those discussions. There's a few people, types of people here are here today. There's actual parents of kids right now. There's grandparents stepping in for parents right now. There's people who need help right now. I'm with you. This sermon is just for you. There's kids in this room, people who need help. Um, you're not a parent, you may be one one day, but you need to hear this, even though you're a kid and you're not a parent, you need to hear this because one day you might be a parent, uh, but today you're a kid and you need to hear this because being a parent's not easy and being a parent, um, you might, you might need to think about what your parent's going through. And then there's people here who no longer have kids or they don't have kids right now. And you need help too. Uh, you need to remember that you have a loving father who is a perfect parent. You, you need to be reminded of how much God loves you. You, even though you may not be the parent working at this thing right now, you need to be reminded that you are the beloved. So there's, there's all different types of people in this room. And inevitably, when we talk about parenting, there's always some people who had really tough memories with parents. And although we're not going to get into like a lot of the traumatic stuff, I want you to know that there's a God of healing and a God of help and a God of hope. And there's some help and some healing through Jesus Christ that I want to pray over you today. Our text today is going to be found in the book of Hosea. Hosea is in the first part of the Bible in the Old Testament or the First Testament. Uh, If you are looking in the table of contents, there's Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. So it's in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a very interesting book. He married a wife, 10 points for anybody who knows the wife's name. Gomer, what a terrible name for your wife. 
if you have a wife named Gomer, I'm so sorry. I'm not even going to like be be like all sensitive about you know making fun of the name Gomer because Gomer for a woman's name it's just not going around too well around here. Have you seen the Andy Griffith Show? If you live in North Carolina, you did probably yesterday. Okay, and we know who Gomer is. So Hosea married somebody named Gomer. And there's a lot of jokes there, but this whole, this whole book of the Bible doesn't seem like a parenting manual when you read it the first time. It's actually a very, um, it's a very complicated prophecy and a complicated tale of God's love for his people. But chapter 11 in the book of Hosea is this holy and applicable picture of God as parent. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 11, and we're going to go through that whole chapter. It's not very long, verse by verse, but before I read it, first, a parenting joke. Why did God tell Abraham, and if you went to Sunday school, you'll, you'll, you'll understand most of this joke. If you didn't, I think you'll still get it. But why did God tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac when Isaac was 12 years old? Anybody? Why did God tell Abraham to sacrifice Isaac when Isaac was 12 years old? I'll tell you the answer. Because if God had waited until Isaac was 13, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. <laughs> and I've got more stories right there and there. Okay. Oh, it's a joke. Come on, you can laugh. Okay, Hosea 11. See if you can relate to anything here in Hosea chapter 11 as a parent or as a child. See if you can relate to anything. Verse number one. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. Any parents can relate. The more I called my children, the more they walked away. This happens every day in houses across Albemarle. People call their children. We'll say that their children's name is, I don't know, Billy Bob. Hey, Billy Bob. Billy Bob don't answer. Billy Bob walks further away. Billy Bob, same thing happening here. God says, when I called my children, the more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the bells and offering incense to idols. I think the bells is Hebrew for um, Nintendo Switch. That's what I think it is. I'm not sure. Verse number three. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Ephraim is the name of the northern kingdom of Israel. When this was being prophesied, the northern kingdom had, had split off from the southern kingdom. And so Ephraim is the northern part of that kingdom of Israel. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. Some of you have newborn babies in your homes. Some of you grandparents have newborn babies or great-grandparents have newborn babies in your families, and you get to keep them every now and then. Newborn babies smell terrific, don't they? You just bring them up close to your face, and you can't do this very, like, publicly, but, like, yeah, they just smell like new, you know? Don't go to the nursery and smell the babies. We'll get security on you. That's weird. 
okay? No, no matter, it's just weird. Don't do it. But, you know, they start stinking around age, I don't know, two. That's when they start stinking. You don't want to smell them anymore. But you can feel the intimacy here. Like, I lifted the baby to my cheek. I bent down to them and I fed them. You can see the love of a father with the infant stooping down and feeding the child. Verse 5, they shall return to the land of Egypt and Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. Now suddenly it starts feeling kind of like teenage years. They're going to do it and I can't stop them. They're going to go into judgment. They're going to have a different king. They're going to, they're going to, verse number six, the sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. Verse seven, my people are bent on turning away from me. Some of you parents right now have like teenagers who got their license and you feel like my kids are just like hell bent on not letting me in anymore. My people are bent on turning away from me to the most high they call, but he does not raise them up at all. Verse 8, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Isn't that just like a parent? Like you get what you deserve, but oh, my compassion is growing warm. Oh, I love you still the same. I don't want this for you. I will not execute my fierce anger. I, I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. He's saying, I, I'm no mortal. I can give grace. I can give hope. They shall not go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall, now, now God's being prophetic. They're not coming to him trembling as, as if the lion is not roaring coming after them to devour them. They're coming to him trembling because the lions roar. They know the lions roar. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their home, says the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah, Judah is the southern kingdom, still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Like you can, you can read this several times and you can see parallels throughout Scripture. If you've read different parts of Scripture, there's a story that Jesus told called the prodigal son. And you can see echoes, you can see different parallels between the older son and the younger son, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You can see the son that stayed home and the son that went away. You can see the heart of the father. You can see this over and over and over. And there are people in this world who have more recognition for all of their smarts and their wisdom and their ability to make money. They're brilliant people. We have brilliant people in this room today. People who make hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions. People who, there are people on this earth who pack out arenas. 
There's celebrities. We have brilliant people on this earth who write books, and they have incredible ability, more recognition than any of us, more than we could dream of, but deep down they struggle with some of the same things we do. What parenting does to these people is the same thing that parenting does to the heart of God. It's, a, it's like a great leveling field. Sam Wells, who is the vicar of St. Martin in the Fields in London, says it like this. I love, I love the way he writes. Parenting unravels every fragile and unresolved quality of my character and exposes every tiny inconsistency in my soul, leaving me with the self-esteem of a mashed potato. This chapter, Hosea 11, is Hosea telling us what it's like for God to be the parent of Israel. It's, he's telling us not a simple story. He's telling us the emotions of a God who loves his child, who esteems his child, who cares for his child. And it comes, it comes to us in three parts, and it's profound and it's relatable, and it moves from the past to the present to the God's future, and it offers us parents some hope. There is great hope found in this chapter in Hosea. So if you're taking notes, I've labeled this parenting from the heart of God. Here's the first thing that we see. Love in the beginning. Love in the beginning. Say love. Love in the beginning. And, and by the way, love isn't just in the beginning. It's all the way through. But love is the foundation of everything in the beginning with God and his children. In verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. A tiny child, an infant, recognizes love. There's no words needed. Often it's just touch. Those, those of you parents who have, who have, like in the past five or ten years, had a newborn baby, maybe you've heard of this thing called skin-to-skin contact. It's, it's a very big thing where this infant comes out of the womb and they instantly put the infant skin-to-skin contact to the mom and to the dad. My friend Chris and his wife just had a baby last week and there's this picture on social media of Chris with the baby, skin-to-skin contact. And there's this dynamic of closeness and togetherness. There's this dynamic of love that is felt and needed, contact that is needed. And I'm a preacher, I'm, I'm not a neurologist, but there's this famous brain scan that was done by psychologists of small children. And on the left, you see the brain scan of a normal three-year-old, and on the right, you see a brain scan of a child, three-year-old, who has undergone extreme neglect. No, no touch, no hugs, no words of comfort. It's, it's almost an abandoned child. You can see the differences between the two brain scans. They, they are to scale. You can see how the one on the left has a much more healthy outer rim, has much more healthy uh, development inside. You can see how the one on the right is much more small and compact and cramped. We literally shrivel up without love. We shrivel up without touch. We shrivel up. In our first three years of development, it is huge for children 
to have to love. This is backed up in Hosea 11. It was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. You can feel God's chest puffing up with love. Ephraim, think about the first steps of that child. Again, on social media, we see it with new parents all the time. They are lovingly adorable and annoying. They just post all these things about their kids as if the rest of us have the same affection for their kids. We don't, but we act like we do. Oh, he took more steps. Oh, it's more steps. Oh, it's more steps. Oh, wow, okay, more steps. Oh, there's just a picture of him because, you know. You can feel God's chest welling up with pride. In verse 4, I led them with the cords of human kindness, with the bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down and fed them. Like a parent following a two-year-old around the house, putting pillows on the sharp edges of the furniture. The job of the parent of a small child, young children, here's the job, protection, tenderness, connection, and teaching. Don't touch the stove, you'll get burned. Be careful, don't run in the house, you you can bash your head in against the furniture. Be careful, if you do this this way, protection, tenderness, connection, teaching. This is especially critical for parents who are trying to raise their children to love Jesus. In our home every night, I say some of the same prayers over our children. We've taught our children how to say the Lord's Prayer. My my hope for them is that when they become adults, the Lord's Prayer is so much in them that they can't escape it. It's always a part of them. I pray some of the same things over them. One of the things I always pray is, I pray they'll fall in love with Jesus. I pray Brennan falls in love with Jesus. I pray Lucy falls in love with Jesus. I pray it over, they hear me pray it all the time. Because I want them to follow Jesus. I want them to love Jesus. And I prayed this over them as young kids. I'm praying it over them as they go past this age of 10 in this, in this next se- season of life. There's a study by George Barna about kids who become active Christ followers as adults. You may want to take a picture of this. If mom and dad went to church, 72% of the kids will as adults. If only mom goes to church, 15% of the kids will as adults. If only dad goes to church, 55% of the kids will adults. If neither mom or dad goes to church, 6% of the kids will as adults. Like I said, leave this up here for a minute. You may want to take a picture of it. This is critical because this stage of life, young children... This stage is all about tenderness, love, connection, teaching, modeling. Maybe you don't like the preacher. Do you like your kid following Jesus? (laughs) Maybe you don't like the... Listen, why are we here to worship the Lord? That's the only reason. We're not here to consume from some spiritual buffet the things that we like and we don't like. We're here to worship the Lord. We're actually here to give. And yes, there should be feeding and there should be consumption happening. Worship should have an impact on our life. The word of God spoken should have an impact and we should be fed by it. But we are the church of Jesus because we are the people of Jesus. Not so that we can come and treat it like American capitalism. 
This is, this is not another store in town for you to just come and get something from. This is the holy church of God. And if you want your children or your grandchildren to value the church in their adult years, these young years are critical. They're crucial in their formation. Remember the brain scans. A child who does not have the touch and the affection of the parents. Remember the brain scans. What about the touch and the affection of Almighty God through their parents? What do those brain scans look like? Now, the second thing we learn, building on this love of God, and this love never goes away, but the next stage in parenting, the first stage was love in the beginning. The sex, second stage, sex, we're talking about sex next week, not today. The second stage is reality in the present. Remember the joke, the Abraham-Isaac joke. Sacrifice at 12, why? Because at 13 it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. The mood kind of changes with that joke. And it's funny because if you've ever parented a teenager or a tweeny or a tweener, you've gotten that phone call. Hey, Mr. Dry, your, uh, your kid skipped school. Well, yeah, okay. We, called a, we, we found a vape, <laughs> uh, something, and... and, and you, you, as a parent, you hold your head in your hands. And my, my parents got some calls when I was a kid. I know that's shocking for you. But like there's a switch that happens and then in those tweener years and those teenage years and those, and those years of young adulthood, in these verses, you can feel the switch as well. And you can see God at the kitchen table hunched over holding his head in his hand, saying these words, the more I called them, the further away they went. They kept offering incense to the Nintendos, to the, to the idols. They refused to come home to me. My people are hell-bent on running away from me. And here's the uncomfortable truth, y'all. Yes, the teenagers are being formed and modeled and shaped and disciplined, but so are you parents. The teenagers are not the only ones being discipled in those years. So are the parents. Parents, we have not arrived at holiness or epiphany. We have not arrived at perfection. And some of you teenagers that are in the room, some of you kids are like wanting to shout amen like you've never shouted it before. I get it. But God has arrived at holiness. And in this story, God has his head in his hands. God is crying his tears. And he is under no illusions about his children. And this kind of action, God knows, has dire consequences and it's it's this kind of this kind of stress this kind of grief that we have to acknowledge and talk through and work through as parents we can't act like it's not real if the heart of God goes through this grief with his children we are not exempt from it either. And again, Wednesday night, we're, we're getting into like the heart of how to do this kind of parenting in a digital age. 
How do we get into consequences and discipline that matters? It is God-centered in the world that we live in today. And, and, and back to this story in Hosea, the Israelites are going to face exile, conquest, slavery, civil war. We can almost see the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told playing out on the national scale in this chapter alone. And God the Father is devastated that his love and intimacy that he once had with his child has devolved into this terrible state. And there are some of you here right now, and I want you to know, God gets it. Some of you here right now feel this grief with your kids, and they're far away from God. They're far away from you, and you grieve it, and you're, it is sucking the life out of you. And when we talk about, when I talk about God sitting at the table with his hands in his hands, with his head in his hands, you're there, and you're crying the tears, and you feel it, and it feels relentless, and it feels like there's no hope. And I want you to know that God is with you, and he gets it. And what God does is that he leads his children through the natural consequences. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. Go back to verses 6, 7, and 8. Here's what he says. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the most high they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. God leads his children into the natural, normal consequences, but he does it with compassion and he does it with his presence. He doesn't abandon Israel to herself and pull away from them forever. This is something that we're not very comfortable with, and rightfully so. To see someone that we love struggling and going through the ringer, knowing that we have the capacity to pull them out and to save them, from the trial, from the tribulation, from the pain. But knowing that if we enable their actions, it will actually damn them more than if they come through it with love. This is the heart of God for his children. And this is the job of parents, of young adults. These are kids ages kind of over 10 but not quite 19. This, the job of those parents is coaching and training. Those years are filled with pain, compassion, conversation, consequences. Pain, compassion, conversation, consequences. Pain, conversation, compassion, consequences. One of, the, one, of, one of my favorite stories is from one of my favorite athletes of all time, Michael Jordan. And there's a big debate that nobody probably cares about as to who the greatest basketball player is of all time. For me, it's him. 
Uh, a lot of that has to do with the era I grew up in. Um, but Michael Jordan didn't make his varsity basketball team. And when he didn't make his varsity basketball team, his mother had some advice for him. His mother told him what to do next. Here's what his mom did not do. His mom did not complain to the principal at the school. His mom did not call the coach and yell at the coach. His mom did not demand a meeting with the athletic director. His mom did not transfer school and pull him from the school. His mom did not suggest MJ take a year off from the JV basketball team. You know what his mom said? His mom told him, quote, get to the gym and work harder. That's what his mom said. And, and you know what? He became what many of us believe to be the greatest basketball player of all time. Missed the cut on his varsity basketball team. Imagine what kids, imagine what the world would become if more parents were like Dolores Jordan. Rather than making excuses for their kids. Complaining over, under the guise of just being my kid's advocate. Just advocating for my kid. I see greatness in my kid. Well, okay. We see the heart of God in the creation. We see his heart leading them again and again and again. But I want to give this to you. How do you train your kids? How do you you coach your kids? It starts with God's heart, and it starts with your heart. If you're going to parent your kids and coach your kids, like, I mean it. This is not just your kid's discipleship. This is your discipleship. And get out, get out your phones again. There's, there's some training from Proverbs for parent. This is like really, really practical. And I actually thought about making this the sermon, but I don't have time to go through all of these. But these are, the, these, these are discipleship points for your kids and for you. Train your kids how to manage God's money. Train your kids how to carefully select friends. See, so many of us parents just want our kids to make friends. I think friendships should be kind of like job interviews. Like, selecting friends is a big deal. Train your kids to watch the words. Train your kids how to be responsible, to guard their minds, to be generous, to fear God. If you have a young adult in your home, somebody over the age of 10 but under the age of 18, this needs to be on your refrigerator. Because this... This is your heart, if you're a follower of Jesus, and this is their heart. This is is the stuff right here. This is training ground. This is coaching in real parenting times. You're not the teacher giving advice any longer. These kids are living in reality, and it's a different reality from when you grew up in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. Coach them in real time. And some parents never leave the advice-giving years of how they treated their kids before they were 10. Teaching, like they were the experts of everything. That doesn't work with teenagers. Can I get an amen? It also doesn't work for adults. And and as we close this sermon down, the final stage of parenting, what we see from the heart of God is this. First we started with love, then then we went to reality. What we see from God is a hope for the future. Can I encourage you? Some of you, some of you feel hopeless with your kids. And I want to encourage you. I want to hold up your arms. Like Aaron, 
lifted up the arms of Moses. Don't give up hope with your kids. We've already read where God says, how could I ever give up hope? My compassion is warm and tender for you. And how many parents know what kind of soul searching this is? If you do, then you know the heart of God. He emerges from this with a firm conviction. Read verse 9. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will. This is the God who has the power over everything. Now, as a parent, you don't have the power over everything. You have some power over this young adult's life or over this child's life. But even you don't have absolute almighty power. God does. God comes to this place and says, I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal. The holy, I am holy, and I will not come in wrath. This is God's heart in the present tense, torn between wrath and mercy. Mercy will cost everything. You know what God did in his mercy? He sent Jesus to redeem Ephraim. He sent his own son to redeem his people. It cost him everything. We get a glimpse into the future. Instead of an older brother who recoils at the sin of the prodigal, the younger brother receives an older brother in Christ who welcomes us and makes a way back to the Father. And we receive, as God's people, we receive mercy instead of a righteous, wrath-filled judgment. And what is important is to, to remember that this is God's story. This is God's story. None of us is the long-suffering parent in this story. But each of us who are parents, with hands raised, are the children. Hosea is not some generalized story of what it's like to be parents. This chapter is a poem and a prayer and a promise that God says, You are my beloved. You've wandered and strayed and you're in pieces. You're going to be united with me. You're going to be reunited with me. Although you'll never understand what it cost me. And that's what we parents have to remember. Not that we gave our kids everything. Listen, listen. This is, this is probably the biggest point of this whole thing. Parents, listen. We have to remember this. We can't give our kids everything. But God can. That's the point of the story in Hosea 11. God gave them everything. And when you're sitting there with your head in your hands, feeling like a failure, feeling all alone, I want to remind you, you can't give your kids everything, but God can. God can give your kids the strength to push through the trial. God can give your kids the grace to stand back up when they have screwed everything up. God can give your kids the wisdom to climb out of a pit. It's always God's story. He is the main character. When you parent, point to Jesus. Always make it about his love. If I have one piece of parenting advice, it's this. Help your child to eventually depend on God alone. 
Can you say that sentence with me before we pray, that last sentence there? Help your child to eventually depend on God alone. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. In the name of Jesus, God's Son, I want to pray for all the parents in the room. If that's you, if you're a parent, you've got a kid between the age of 0 and 18, hands out in front of you with palms facing up. I want to pray the grace of God over you. I want to pray the peace of God over you. I want to pray the wisdom and the love of God in you. If you're a grandparent and you're acting as the parent of a kid in those ages, join the crowd. Hands in front of you. I pray the discernment of the risen Savior over you. The love of this Jesus to guide you, to lead you. I pray the wisdom, the reminder that you are not the God that provides. These kids are on loan to you. And may you always point to the only provider, the only God, the only healer, the only resurrector, the only hope. May you always take your rightful place at his table. And when you find yourself with your head in your hands, may you hold your hands out in front of you again. And may you feel the love of God filling you up. May you feel the comfort of a father who loved you first. Who loves your child. For all the parents, whether your kids are under 18 or above 18, if, you, if, if, if you're the parent of a kid who's far from Jesus today, I just want to pray for you. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed. In the name of Jesus the Christ, I pray the peace of God over you. I pray the words of Christ into your spirit and into your heart. I pray the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. The heart of the Father, the love of an older brother who gave his life for his sibling Israel. There is a pain and a burden that is quite inexplicable. But it is known in a big fraternity of parents who have children. And these children are far away from Jesus. Father God, I pray that you would bring comfort to that pain, healing to that pain. God, we pray for these children who are prodigals, who are far away, to fall in love with Jesus. Many of them, again, and again, and again. And all over this room, there's a Father who loves you. There's a God who loves you. 
And you may find yourself being a wayward child today, far from the love of a father, far from the love of Jesus. If that's you and you'd say, Nate, I need to make things right with Father God. I've been wayward for too long and I need to come home to Jesus. If that's you, just look up and make eye contact with me so I can pray for you. Let me acknowledge you. If that's you, looking over here at my right, your left. If that's you, just eye contact right up here. Yeah, I see you. Thank you. I got you. Who else? Just really quick. Going across the room over here. I need to make things right with Jesus, Nate. Pray for me. Anybody else here on the left? How about over here on the right? I see you. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else over here? How about over here on this far right? Nate, pray for me. I need to make things right with Jesus today. Anybody else? All right. Can we just pray these words together in unity? Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. I'm going to follow you. I'm a child of God. I'm loved by the Father. I'm turning from sin. And I'm committing to following this Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Amen. Hey, for the two of you that prayed that prayer, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that the prayer meant something. And what, what really means something is to continue to pray and to continue to walk in that. And we'd love to have you be baptized. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. And if you want to get baptized, you can use that card and just pop it in one of those boxes on your way out. Can we thank God for the couple of people who prayed that prayer today? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, Pastor John's going to come, and I think Charlie's going to come, and they're going to close us in prayer.